Hey guys, this is Jane, and this is a special episode this week. It's an interview between me and Clara Nozick, who's a registered dietitian based in California. And she, on the side, is a content creator and health educator in the wellness and anti-diet space. You may know her as your dietitian BFF on Instagram and TikTok. She puts out, first of all, hilarious content, and that's really what kind of drew me into her. But then the first time that I saw one of her posts, I clicked into it and read the caption, and I was like, holy crap, there is so much depth in here. And she takes not just research, but also history, and just essentially does such an incredible, amazing job of providing dietitian digestible and science-backed education to help people better understand the ways that wellness culture can really not just reflect but perpetuate these discriminatory systems in our society. If you've been tuning into this podcast or if you have been following along with Polly content for the past few years or anyone else in the space, to be honest, chances are you know already what things like intuitive eating, health at every size, diet culture, and anti-diet stuff um, are in addition to like weight inclusivity, body neutrality, body positivity, etc. But I do think that while the conversation around these topics has really taken off in the past few years, something that is lagging behind is thinking about how systemic factors have really created this like toxicity within wellness culture and uh, diet culture, and also how these industries have really kind of created this ideal um, of like what we all must, and I'm doing we in air quotes, thinking about like the general public as we, uh, the general population that is being sucked into wellness and diet culture, the thing the image that we all must try to strive for is being this like thin, rich white woman with no body hair and like probably light hair on their head. And it's an ideal that like such a small percentage of the population is able to obtain, you know, it's like totally unrealistic. It's very white lot washed and just like this Eurocentric ideal of beauty. And that's all messed up. But even beyond that, then you get into thinking about race and um, it's a very cost prohibitive image to obtain, especially if you are not one of the like 0.001% of people that are just naturally born into a body like that, uh, doing things like going to workout classes, uh, partaking in stuff like going to an infrared sauna and acupuncture and a bunch of these like wellness things that costs a lot of money, you know, even just dietary stuff costs a lot of money. And that's a, that's really cost prohibitive for people. And it's also very exclusionary for people. I don't even know if exclusionary is a word, but hopefully you know what I mean. If you're a healthcare provider or a practitioner, and if you want to make sure that you are practicing with your clients or patients in the most inclusion-oriented and um, aware way that you can, this is a really, really good one. Because if you're working with your patients on anything lifestyle-related, and even if you're a super conventional provider and, and you typically just prescribe and don't have time to really get into the lifestyle stuff with your patients, I do think that understanding these biases and just how white supremacy and capitalism and ableism have all kind of fed into wellness and diet culture. I think having that perspective and that understanding can ultimately allow for better patient-provider interactions and just more connection in general. And that's, that's a good thing. And this is just one of my favorite topics to chat about. And I think you can tell in the interview, it's it's a very informal discussion um, and a lot of stuff is brought up. And so if you have any questions or comments, please let us know and please share this with your friends and family. It's just such, such an important topic. And also please follow Clara. She is your dietitian BFF at your dietitian BFF, excuse me, on Instagram and TikTok. I'll link those in the show notes and her, her website. I will also link below and that's claranozik.com. 
All right. Hello, everyone. This is Jane, and I am so excited to be here today with Clara Nozick, who is a registered dietitian based in California, and she is known on Instagram as your dietitian BFF. She makes some pretty amazing memes relating to wellness culture and anti-diet stuff. Um, Clara, do you mind starting with your background? Yeah. Hi. Um, I am a registered dietitian. I have my master's in dietetics. Um, I currently work in the outpatient setting as a dietitian um, and Moonlight as a content creator. I personally love your content. I've even a few of my friends that are completely not um, related to work that I do with Polly or, or wellness related stuff in the past. We've, we've never like bonded over that kind of stuff. I have mentioned to them that I was interviewing you for this podcast and they've all been really excited and, and oh your God, names have been getting sent around my <laughs> various friend groups and stuff by me, but then also people totally separate than me. And so you're, you're definitely, you're definitely that is so cool. <laughs> well, let's get into it. So we're going to be talking about um, what I like to call the dark side of wellness today. And I think that this is something that is being talked about more and more often for those of you who have kind of started to do some more work on thinking about how diet culture has impacted your life or even beyond diet culture, just general wellness culture. And I've been following Clara for a while, and I personally think that there's no one better to speak to this topic than you. Um, so Clara, I think it would be great if we just started a little bit more general and would love to hear how you even define wellness culture. I think wellness culture is literally anything having to do with health, mm -hmm. um, whether it's, you know, food or functional drinks, um, mm -hmm. rest, boundaries, uh, medical health, mental health, anything like around those things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think at face value, it's not necessarily all bad. That's at right. least my, my opinion. I think that there's a lot of good intent in terms of like how some people were kind of drawn to it, but it's definitely taken a turn in a lot of corners, at least, uh, because of the ability of, in my opinion, again, people and companies are able to profit off of this kind of stuff. Oh yeah, uh, totally. Yeah. yeah. I read have you read the gospel of wellness? No, I've not. So it's I mean, pretty, I've not really, even heard of that. I'm like, really, I'm mortified. I, I think it came out this year. Okay. Last, no, this year. Yeah. I think it was published this year. Okay. Um, so in that book, as well as like in cultish, have you read that book? I've, I've heard of cultish and I've like listened to podcasts on it, but in true, like, millennial fashion <laughs> I've not read the whole thing so I so I, oh, yeah, read yeah. It, I know so you don't just. have to um <laughs> yeah. so basically like if we look at the alternative wellness space and like the history of it right so the reason mm -hmm. why it became what it is is because there was a group of individuals marginalized people who were not getting their needs met by mm -hmm what was at that time being provided. Yeah. And so you see a lot of kind of like a makeshift pulling from other cultures, other practices, other traditions 
to form kind of this like alt wellness space, right? It's yeah, kind of yeah. um, like supplementary to what is currently being provided. And I think that it has become like this almost like perverse manifestation mm-hmm. of that same feeling of like providing what is lacking, yeah. but also with this sprinkling of capitalism of white supremacy of um ableism and that like whole clean aesthetic so there's like religious undertones but like all of that which I feel like is pretty like on brand for um what America does to things (laughs) yeah no I mean absolutely I think um, and, 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 and this is something where I think that if, if someone, if you are listening to this podcast and if you've never like heard about this connection before, it can maybe take a minute to kind of get there. But I do think that the way that America is set up, um, being a capitalist country and, and also a lot of ingrained white supremacy going on, it's just kind of set the stage to be this like complete disaster I think when it comes to like what what wellness can be and what wellness culture can become and and really what it has become in a lot of ways um depending on again the the sources of outlets that you're kind of like ingesting information from or ingesting products from yeah totally it's a lot of like the it, the focus is really solutions oriented which I love right we all yeah. want to be goal oriented we all want to have yeah. positive outcomes Um, But I think that what's missing is some critique, some introspection, some review of like why we need these solutions. Right. Right. And it's like nobody wants to go there. And I think that's that's probably like the first step. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Fixing it. Yeah. And I think, and I'm speak, can speak from the perspective of someone who like has certainly like taken it too far in the past. Um, in terms of like trying to be healthy and trying to like do all these trendy wellness things. I'm also a white woman who grew up in a family that had a decent amount of privilege money-wise. And so I'm kind of like this, (laughs) I, I can, I have a lot of feelings about it (laughs) to to just like put it bluntly. I have a lot of feelings about it. Um, especially when I was younger, I like very much. So I was like someone, I mean, my friends still today are always like, you could get swept up in a cult so easily. I'm very like impressionable. I jump on trends really quickly. Um, and it really took a lot of like self-reflection and, and also just like switching up my social media feeds and like podcasts that I was listening to and just like starting to understand that like, oh my God, this is not like the ideal way of living to like go to an infrared sauna and go to acupuncture and not eat any processed foods um, and spend a million dollars on group fitness classes that say that they're going to fix me entirely. Uh, that's, that's not actually fixing anything at all. And it's also not making me a better person. Um, and not only that, but it's, it's kind of like capitalizing on a lot of disadvantaged people in some way, whether like those, like, whether, whether, whether it's like appropriating stuff or, um, just being inaccessible from a financial perspective. And that took me a really long time to get to. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's uncomfortable and like, nobody wants to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think nobody wants to be lumped in with things that we consider are bad. 
Mm-hmm. So it makes like so much sense. And I think that like, so I grew up super Catholic. Yeah, I did too. (laughs) So, you know, there's like this religious indoctrination of that good, bad binary, right? And like Mm -hmm. the kind of like either or one way type of thinking that like doesn't doesn't make space for like the messiness of everything and it's complicated and it requires effort on everyone's part. And I think that like, there's so much on everyone's plate, like life is already stressful. So like, why, why even go there if you don't have the capacity or if like you don't want to take on more stuff? Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I think it's, it's so, so important. And would also love to get a little bit more into like specifically diet culture. And I know that that's kind of, it's, it's hard to differentiate from like this larger systemic issue that we're talking about, but I do think it's like a large enough subset and important enough subset to touch on separately and you're a dietitian. So I would love to hear what, what you kind of think about that. I mean, maybe, maybe start with also defining diet culture, um, again, just for anyone that who may be listening, who is like, what the, what the hell do you mean by diet culture? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think in like on paper, Mm -hmm. diet culture really is this belief that you can determine your health status solely through your food choices Mm -hmm. and where the end goal is to be thin because diet culture conflates thinness with health. Mm -hmm. And so the end goal is always to be smaller. Yeah. And this idea that if you live in a larger body, that is bad. And that means you are unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, that means like, you know, you're perceived as like lazy. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much value-based stuff in it. Yeah. And so it's just like that whole space, that mental space of like your physical outward appearance determines your value as a human being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that, again, that was something that I, I didn't have the words for diet culture until probably like five years ago, like four, four years ago, even. Um, And I consider myself really lucky. And that when I, my like little progression, I can share for everyone, my like little arc and journey about like awareness about what the hell diet culture is and how it was impacting me. Um, I would say it was like a long and winding path, which it is for a lot of people, but I I'm 29 years old right now. Um, had to think about that. (laughs) But when I was, when I was a freshman in college, I started dealing with some PCOS symptoms and, um, it's a lot of the, that's why we started poly was because of my own personal experience. It was a shitty thing to go through. It was very, very hard. Anyone can probably speak to that who has PCOS. Um, but I was diagnosed and then I was recommended by a doctor to like cut out all carbohydrates. I wasn't insulin resistant. And so cutting out carbs for me actually made my symptoms a lot worse. It also like catalyzed a lot of fear around carbs and just food in general and sugars. 
Um, and I would say it kind of swung me onto like the orthorexic side of the spectrum. And this was like 2011, 2012, uh, orthorexia was like, I I'm sure that it was being discussed in like, from like a research perspective, maybe at that point, but like, that was not a term that anyone was actually using in like daily life. Um, and it was the kind of thing where like, people were like applauding me for, for being so healthy and I'm doing air quotes for people who are listening. <laughs> and, and then I started getting into like food blogs and a few of the food bloggers that I followed who kind of were on the same end of this, like, like healthism, like orthorexic end of the spectrum is I, a few of them actually then ended up really taking a step back, going down more of a health at every size slash intuitive eating path. And I kind of got like swept along the way with them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so it was, I'm so grateful to them. And the two that I talk about a lot are Robin Noling, she's a dietitian and Lisa Haim. Um, but it was not intentional, you know, and, and they kind of like opened my eyes to like these new words and these new like ways of thinking about things. And these new, these, these new realizations that like, I had been so impacted by diet culture and like the societal pressure to be like as thin as I could be and be as healthy as I could be. Um, and that that was all like external pressures. And that also that that was actually making me like deeply emotionally and mentally unwell. Uh, and I don't even remember why I started rambling about this. Yeah. No, no. You were just telling me about how we got here. How we got here. Oh yes. This is your, how, how, how we got here. And, and just in terms of like, kind of realizing how diet culture can impact you. Mm -hmm. um, That was my realization. And I've had a lot of friends since then go through a similar experience, or maybe it was more concentrated, uh, more intentional, I should say, as opposed to concentrated where my little journey was honestly entirely unintentional until the past few years. And then I've really started to unpack it more, particularly in terms of like how like privilege and white supremacy have played a role because that's something that I feel I have a responsibility to kind of unpack myself, obviously. Um, but I, I just wanted to call out that, like, I think it can be, it can be a difficult process for people to realize how much these like external things are impacting us internally. Oh, and totally. I think that there can be a lot of denial along the way also. Yeah. I mean, it's uncomfortable. Nobody wants to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think like, you know, we've been told our whole lives, really, like, if you want to be healthy, you got to eat healthy, you got to exercise, you have to do this, you have to do that, right? Like, and, and this idea that if you do this, this very like linear, if you do, if you do a, yeah, then B will happen. Yeah. And that totally doesn't happen, you know? And it's like, how can you speak to that. Where does that messy conversation occur? And if you think of it, like in terms of our medical system, right. It's like these Mm -hmm. doctors really, they get like 15 minutes, maybe 10 minutes with a patient. And it's like, it's, it's a business. And so, you know, the, the concern there's concern for patient well-being, but at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, the concern is the bottom line. Yeah. And so, you know, you're just kind of turning these people out train these people out, yeah. train these people out. And there's really no time to have those messy conversations. And I yeah. think that like, it's really sad. Um, and a lot of the fear-based um, narratives, the fear mongering, especially in diet culture, especially in the wellness space mm-hmm. comes from a place of 
like a good, like everyone's well-intentioned. Like, I don't think people have like these malicious ideologies of like, I'm going to do, I'm going to scare all these people and yeah. whatever. It just, yeah. that this is a very human thing, right? You're always yeah. going to be wary of new things. You always are going to be fearful of things that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. I think it's like also learning that, that fear and how it triggers kind of like that shame guilt response. Yeah. And if it ends up badly, you like internalize that. And it's yeah. like, we're not even looking at like the whole picture. So like, if yeah. you're talking to someone and if person A and person B ate the same amount of things, ate the same thing mm-hmm. and they exercise the same way mm-hmm. and they had the same sleep patterns, yeah, you like they would still have different health outcomes right. and you, right. cause like you have to take a look like genetically mm-hmm. what's going on there. You know, do mm-hmm. they have family history? Is there trauma? Has mm-hmm. their, like, what, what have they faced environmentally, socially, yeah. culturally, like what has been accessible to them? Yeah. And so it's like, you kind of get, it gets you in the weeds and like realistically as a dietitian, right. It's like, I get 30 minutes to an hour with a patient and then it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I'll see you in a year and we'll see what Bad. happens. Yeah. yeah. And like, it's unfair and it's, you know, I wish that I could see people for longer, more frequently, but you're kind of like at the mercy of insurance. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. like, you know, uh, what can I do to help someone who might not have reliable transportation, right? who might be a product of a very traumatic um, upbringing or someone who is food insecure or someone who, or financially insecure or just all kinds of insecurities. Yeah. Yeah. And like, to think like, here's the solution. If you don't want to do it, there's nothing I can do is kind of like the idea behind why I think like diet culture, wellness culture is kind of insidious where it's like, if you do this, this will fix everything. Right. Like here's your cure-all right. and like realistically there's no such thing because no, it's not, it's, this a solution. It's a bandaid. It's yeah. a bandaid to like a bigger problem. It's yeah. It's a bandaid. It doesn't take into account any of those like social determinants of health that you were just going through in terms of like, where do they live? What's the, how, how like relationally secure are they with their family and loved ones do do you have money to go buy quote unquote healthy food? Um, but another piece of that, that you just touched on also is, was the fact that like, it is just a bandaid, but like that, that this industry, whatever you want to call it is pushing on people to be this like perfect image and do this long laundry list of things to make them well as, as they define well. Um, and it also doesn't think, I mean, I mean, I've tried to do that and like the things that help me the most. And I think that Clara, your content does a really good job of making this abundantly clear. The things that help me the most are like 
not being stressed out, you know, like working on my stress and making sure that I'm eating every few hours so that my blood sugar doesn't dip too low. Um, and like, that's kind of like it, you know, and I've definitely, there's, there's still some things that I do. I've been dealing with some health issues this past year where I have kind of had to like make a little bit more of a concentrated effort to eat a more nutrient dense in a more nutrient dense way, but like I've had the means to do that. And that's something that I'm very, very grateful for. Um, and I, I just think that like, I'm not trying to simplify health in any way. I think that like, it's really amazing to see, uh, like how much technology has improved and like how far we've come with healthcare and like, in like nutrition science, I'm not trying to minimize that, but at the end of the day, those like basic things to make sure that you're sleeping and eating enough and frequently and drinking enough water, getting outside. I, I feel like that's like 85% of the equation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I know, like, I think that a lot of the content that I produce is opposite, like antithesis to that, like wellness narrative of like micromanaging, mm-hmm. right. You're mm-hmm. like hyper fixated on single ingredients. You're looking at like everything is poison. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everything's going to kill you. And like, look at these studies. And it's like, if we looked at the studies, mm-hmm. <laughs> you would see that like a lot of them are like animal studies. One. Yeah. Yeah. And humans even. <laughs> and so it's like, if we, if these are replicated in humans, like the sheer volume that a person would have to consume in order to replicate like the, the toxic love, like it's a lot of scary things. And I think that there's a breakdown in communication. There's a deficit in the communication in the exchange, the translation. That's like, the science is very dense. It's very heavy. You don't understand what's a lot, like half of it. It's heavy for me. And I, yeah, you know, and you know, studied it, it and read it. Yeah. And you know, it. like yeah. the jargon and all of it. it's very, yeah. I think it's, you know, if we look at the pillars of academia mm-hmm. as a whole, it is, it's like this elitist, you know, you have to have means to go you, there's a lot of things that go into higher levels of education. Yeah. And in itself is like a gate, right. To Understanding those. And now that we have the internet and now that everything is on the internet, yeah, you know, on the one hand, everything's on the internet. And then on the other hand, everything, (laughs) (laughs) then now what? And I think that like, you know, if someone interprets a scientific study that is, it sounds scary. There's a lot of big words. There's a lot of chemical sounding things, a lot of like all of that. And then you kind of translate it to your best ability, Mm -hmm. whatever. And -hmm. then you share it. I don't think the intent is malicious. I don't think that they're Mm -hmm. getting you know, they're being paid by small pharma or like yeah. Yeah. big organic to say it. It's just kind of like, this is their interpretation. And I think that, you know, part of it is, is just laughing because it's kind of like some of the stuff that I've seen, the claims just like are, it's just laughable, but it's also yeah. like, this is someone will internalize that. And I feel like there's a responsibility that influencers, especially like wellness influencers who have power, who are normalizing this like fear to also come with like 
the one the facts to come with it and the ability yeah. to translate it in a in a way that is like I don't know safe or yeah. like at least take responsibility like the for like what you're doing like it doesn't matter if your intention was good if the right. reception is bad right that's what matters like yeah I don't really care if you're like I am a good person I didn't mean to hurt anybody if yeah. at the end of the day you're hurting people that's what matters you're hurting people yeah, yeah. and I think that the, the influencer thing I could talk about for hours because it's it's obviously like a relatively new profession compared to like other other career paths out there um and I I think that people can mess up you know people can mess up and then they can take accountability and they can like explain the details in which they messed up. Um, but I do think that like when you have a large platform, I mean, even if it's not a huge platform, even if it's just like, like, like 5,000 people, you still have a responsibility in my opinion. And, and that you are a human. And I think that especially with influencers, there's, what is that word? I am completely forgetting the word where you feel like you're friends with someone that's like famous. Like parasocial relationship. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A parasocial relationship. I think that happens way more with like influencers that are like at the micro influencer level mm-hmm. um, than even like the largest influencers out there. And for that reason, I would even argue that, that people that are more at that micro level are still very much so trying to grow their account and build their brand, whatever. Um, there still is a responsibility there. And it, and I would advocate for anyone that's listening to really focus on like cleaning up your social feeds. Like don't support people who are not taking that accountability. Um, I know that that can be hard, but I think that like, it can also help rewire your own brain when you're adjusting. Oh yeah. Content Challenging that is those biases. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I've, I've made a concentrated effort in that over the past few years, um, even more so than like the five years before that. And I will sometimes like stumble upon on like my discover page or like something nuts comes up on my TikTok That's like very much so not aligned with, with those people that I do enjoy following. And it's kind of freaky to see like how far out there some people can be <laughs> and, and just like the level of like convincing and, and just legitimacy. Um, I, I think that if you're not checking yourself, it, it can be really easy to get swept up in stuff and stuff and just start feeling a lot of stress and pressure about things that don't necessarily matter when it comes to health and nutrition and wellness. Totally. No, but that yeah. makes sense. And I think, okay, so I just finished reading this book, Uncovering Your Biases. And a lot of it, you know, it's uncomfortable, but I think it's so important. And I love that you touch on that because it's like, we are subject to so many inputs, right? Whether yeah. it's like on the radio, on social media, in the TVs, in your movies, like everything mm-hmm. we're constantly consuming. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, social media tends to reaffirm whatever biases we already have. Yeah. And it kind of puts like blinders on Mm -hmm. and you're kind of like in that tunnel and you end up like in this silo, which is very interesting too, because it's like, you might as well just be talking to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's literally like all social media can be. And I think social media can be different for a lot of people, but I think that it, I would hope that you know, a lot of those practices associated with wellness, Mm -hmm. is it 
is the stress associated, like the mental gymnastics of participating in wellness culture, if that is hurting or helping Mm -hmm. whatever's going on Mm -hmm. and being able to have that level of like self-awareness, I think is, is hard. And like, we're not taught that we're just kind of taught like, okay, you want to be a good person. And if, and what's under that umbrella of being a good person is to be a healthy person. And we think being healthy means being thin. And so how do I get there? Yeah. And it gets, it's heavy, right? Like a lot of the times it's like, don't eat this, don't eat that. This is poison. And then you end up mentally holding on to all these rules, holding on to all these things that you should avoid. And, and then you just kind of have like, like a brain fart, you just get tired of yeah. holding all of it. And then you have decision fatigue and it's like, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to do whatever. Fatigue. You're, you're creating chronic stress about stuff that you shouldn't have chronic stress about. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's you're, you're creating more stress on top of stress that you already have from like work or, or exactly friendships or family, whatever. Um, and that stress is also in a lot of ways. And, and I mean, in a lot of instances, like not necessary and, and et cetera, but that's like a completely different conversation. Um, it's just like, yeah. why, if why we want to talk about stress. the stress, the sodium, yeah. uh, the stress, the inflammation associated with stress. Yeah. Right. And like, let's, let's talk about that. Like why, like, yeah. <laughs> managing yeah. all those things. But, and, and again, it's kind of like, well, there's no quick fix to managing someone's stress. Like what if someone is in just like a shit situation Yeah, and all they can do is, or all the food that they have access to is, mm-hmm. you know, something highly processed in a container in a package. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so now what, like, where do you go from there? And yeah. would you prefer that someone not eat anything, which I have seen like in practice, yeah. it's like, oh, I can't eat any of this stuff is so unhealthy. Yeah. Like, so what are you eating? It's like nothing. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. I can't, I can't even begin to emphasize how terrible it is to just like not eat anything. Yeah. And like the benefits of, of simply eating something mm-hmm. and starting there. Yeah. And what that looks like. And yeah. people are so scared to be perceived as unhealthy to get lumped into that label, that box Yeah, that it's like, it's not, I, yeah, I think wellness really isn't helping anybody or it's, oh. it's, yeah. I mean, I it's, It's, it's propping people up who are, who don't need more propping up, you know, the people who are like profiting on wellness. I mean, going back to the influencer discussion, um, I think that the people who are really like branding themselves or or focused on being this like perfect image of wellness, they're mostly thin white women who have enough money and (laughs) have access to all of this stuff easily. Um, and then the, the people that follow them, the communities that follow them, whatever you want to call it, um, like idolizes them in a way, you know, and, and that's not right. I don't think personally, I just think it's like, it's from like an ethical perspective, it's not right. And, and it's also just like totally illogical and 
so many people would be better off if, if that wasn't the way that we were all influenced by wellness, you know? Yeah. Or if we just had like more nuanced conversations yeah. around yeah. it, right? Like, yeah, is this fancy yoga mat going to completely change my practice? Yeah. Probably not. No. Yeah. Will it be a little stickier? Will it have some support? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Will it change yeah. the fact that like my only time that I have to exercise is between like 4 a.m. and 5 a.m., which means then I don't get to sleep it like and I'm like as much sleep. sleep and like yeah. Yeah. it's like all of those other things. And I think if we have those conversations, like then we can make a more a more well-rounded decision. Yeah. A, like an educated it's, it's the awareness decision. piece, I feel it's so important none of us as individuals are going to like take down capitalism. (laughs) Although like (laughs) that would be fun, but it's, it's, it's too, I mean, it's too much pressure for anyone as an individual, but I do think that like that awareness component that you keep coming back to is honestly like life-changing, you know, but it's, yeah, no, I really do. I think it's like really life-changing and I think it's kind of like, um, Obviously in situations of like extreme, extreme stress or like extreme, extreme insecurity, awareness might not even be realistic, but for a lot of us, that awareness piece is realistic and it's, it's a really necessary first step, I think. Mm-hmm. I yeah. <laughs> yes. Starting with something is better yeah. than starting with nothing. Yeah. And yeah. And I think that there, we always just get caught up in doing it the right way. And that's where it kind of gets messy too. Like even in the anti-diet space, I have my own little like critique of that as well. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I would start with like just getting, getting comfortable with getting Mm -hmm. it wrong, Mm -hmm. removing yourself from like that good, bad, and just like do Mm -hmm. instead. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, it's super freeing. In that sense, where you're kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's just like parenting, right? Like nobody, nobody freaking knows what they're doing. Everyone's just like, yeah, trying to make sure. We're all like, I mean, I don't have kids yet, but I have friends that are starting to have kids, and it's like, I still feel like a kid. They still feel like kids. Like, yeah, I literally will turn to my husband. What they're doing? Have children. Yeah. (laughs) And like, it's so cool too. Like we were just having this conversation with my husband before. Mm-hmm. So like my daughter has started school and she mm-hmm. has started telling when she gets really upset, she's started saying like, I hate you. Oh, and it's like, yeah. and I remember like saying that like as a, as a small child and Same. like the response from our parents, my parents was yeah. always like, not the best in my favor. Right. Like, cause yeah. you shouldn't be saying I hate you to people. Yeah. And I think that yeah. like in that era, in that generation, it's, almost like a personal attack Mm -hmm. to them Mm -hmm. when in reality now me as a millennial who has like gone to therapy who's done all that other stuff like all the shadow work or whatever yeah and to realize that like this is a tiny human right like a tiny human who is experiencing a really big emotion yeah. And, and it's like, how the hell does a tiny human express that really big emotion when they've like felt it so few times before yeah. and, and so their like, little brains literally aren't even like developed. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, totally. And it's kind of like, how, how are they able to 
relay that to you. Yeah. And the only way that they are able to verbalize it really Mm -hmm. is by telling you that they hate you and it has nothing Mm -hmm. to do with you and everything to do with the gravity of their feeling. And I think that like, especially now, like as an adult dealing with patients of a variety of, of ages, right. It's, it's that level of awareness. Yeah. My favorite word right now. (laughs) It's that level, like of knowing that like, you know, every person is making a decision not as an attack to you. It's not an assault to you as a person, as a healthcare provider, as a a human to human. It's like that person is making that choice for themselves because they have, they've done all the math in their brain and this is the answer. It might not line up with what you would do, but next time, like what are ways that I can help? this person make a choice so that they can see it like whole big picture. And I think that same thing can be extended to like why a person eats, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. On this culture, you just get so in the weeds of like, this is toxic. This is, this will cause inflammation. This will do any X, Y, and Z. And it's kind of like, no. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. (laughs) No, unless, unless you're like actually like sprinkling rat poison on your food or something, if it's something that's like sold in a store to eat, it's food. (laughs) And, and I think, I mean, I just think it's, we keep going back to the awareness piece and like broader themes. And I know that this conversation started as one about like diet and food and nutrition because Claire is a dietitian, but the, the stuff and these feelings are so much bigger than that. And that's why I think it's so interesting is because it's, it's really not just like what we eat and these pressures are not just what we eat. It gets into like how good of a person you are and how, like how worthy of a person you are. And that's like such absolute bullshit, Yeah, (laughs) Um, but it's so ingrained. And I think it can be, it can be hard to get there for a lot of people. Totally. Yeah. I know it will. And I know that that stuff sells Yeah, like fear. Telling someone to eat something is not sexy. Right. 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 (laughs) Like like I had a, I had a video taken down. I was just reading a journal article. Yeah. Like just reading directly from a journal article. And I got it taken down because it was like a community guidelines violation. It was like, this is, this is like untrue or whatever. Yeah. And I scrolled and there are so many people just like saying not true nutrition things. Yeah. And no one bats an eye. Yeah. And it's kind of like, okay, (laughs) okay. Like just another day trying to tell people to eat something. And it's like, well, what about diseases? So you're just going to let everyone eat whatever they want. And it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're an adult. Like there are different reasons why different, there are different reasons for eating one and two, like in the grand scheme of things, your health is your diet is Mm -hmm. a very small piece of your whole health picture. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. And the, I know that I keep coming back to the stress thing, but for me, personally, the stress has had such a bigger negative impact on my health. Um, 
slash positive impact on my health. If it's, if it's in like good standing <laughs> than, than diet ever has. And I mean, like it's, I'm again, I'm like almost 30 and like, I'm only just now kind of like fully realizing that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, even though like there's always perhaps obviously been like a little inkling of a voice in my head that has kind of been like the stress, the pressure, like that's, what's making you get acne or like, or get UTIs or like whatever my health issues have been. Um, but it's, it's taken a long time to kind of finally start to reckon with that because managing stress is a lot harder than just buying stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you can't really like, you know, you can't make more time. Yeah. But you could buy a cream. You could do a fun thing. Like I love, so here's the thing. My toxic trait, (laughs) (laughs) my toxic trait is that I love participating in like wellness things. I just love it. I I mean, same. I I'm sure I'm sure that's come across through the podcast, but I, I like, I love it. You know, there's so much stuff that I love about wellness, but go ahead. Yeah. No, you just like, it's just like things to do experientially. Yeah. It's just, it's nice. Like I remember, so back in Buffalo, there were these, there was this place that I love to go to where Mm -hmm. like legit, you just get, Mm -hmm. you change into their clothes. You change into like a sweatsuit. It was like a Mm -hmm. sauna, like your own personal sauna. Interesting. Yeah. And you change into like sweatpants and a, and a t-shirt, just like stripped mm-hmm. down. And mm-hmm. then you get into this like heating cocoon. Oh my God. Yeah. And then they, so you're like propped up like to simulate like zero gravity. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, you have headphones in and the, it just gets really hot. So you just get really sweaty. Yeah, so you're just yeah, like yeah. sweating for an yeah. hour. Yeah. Right. And they have, it's all dark. So you're like in a pod and then mm-hmm. you just tell them what you want to watch on Netflix mm-hmm. and it's uninterrupted just, alone time. Oh, that's so nice. Hour. Yeah. And then afterwards, like when the time is up, they put like a, like a minty towel on your head to begin oh, like so the re like bringing you back to room temperature. Yeah. And then you come out of it. You're like sweaty. You go into this nice room. That's like gent, like lightly cooled. There's always like yeah. ice water and like snacks available. You just like yeah. hang out and then you get dressed yeah. and you go on with your day. It's like total pampering. Of course yes. you're going to love it. You would be crazy if you didn't love it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. And I know that like, yeah. you know, there's privilege associated with that, right? Like having time yeah. to do it, being able to pay for it. Like I, I only went like, I'd only go once in a while because it was expensive, but like, yeah it was nice. And I really liked it. And did I believe that I was like sweating out toxins? No. Yeah. Because I have a a general understanding that that is just a buzzword. doesn't really mean anything. If by toxins, you mean sweat. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, but like just telling people like, here's an hour of alone time won't sell. And I get that having tell people like, Oh, this will help with like releasing will strengthen your inflammatory response to whatever. Yeah. yeah. That's what sells. Right. And so am I complicit in participation in my participation with wellness culture? Yes. Can I, does that mean I am not allowed to critique the space? I don't think so. And I think that it's it's more nuanced. Yeah. Like you've been saying. Yeah. And it's like, just own it. Right. Like uh, the same thing can be said about like diet cult, like anti-diet spaces. Yeah. It's kind of like that same thing. Like, okay, yes. Am I participating in this space? Yes. 
-hmm. And any critique oftentimes has been met with like, you don't know what you're saying. Like, what are you, why are you, what's the alternative? Mm -hmm. And it's like, maybe this is the alternative. Mm -hmm. Having these conversations, expanding Mm -hmm. the idea, the breadth of this work. Like, why is that bad? Yeah. And just, it's, it's not. And I think that by having those conversations again, I mean, this is just like a theme that I'm, it's like a, I'm beating a dead horse with this, but, but, um, it's giving people the awareness to like make their own informed decisions or to like, or to like make different decisions that might feel better or different to them. Um, and without that conversation, I think that like, if someone is so deeply ingrained in this world and like being influenced by wellness culture, they don't have that awareness and they don't have that decision. And that's, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it does become kind of like a cult, like, anything. yeah, no, it totally becomes like a cult. It's just a lot, you know? And I think it's, it stems from people wanting community and I get that and I can yeah. totally get behind that. Yeah. And it's like, you know, let people do what they want to do as long as they're not hurting anyone. But yeah. it's like, there is clear harm being done. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like we can, it's there, it's palpable. Like you could see it happening yeah. in real time. Yeah, yeah. no, hundred percent. It's hundred percent there. Um, well, Clara, thank you so much for coming. Can we close with like two quick little things? Yeah. Okay. So one, what is one annoying wellness trend that you would like to debunk? I know you've like mentioned a few on the podcast, but what's, what's one that's been more top of mind for you lately? (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) That seed oils are poison Yeah, or that like food is poison in general. Yeah, I've been seeing, there's like an audio right now trending Mm -hmm. and it's like a song that's like all food is poison. And it's, oh yeah, there's like people standing in grocery stores and just playing like that audio filming like cereal or canned stuff or something yeah even yeah. like there's one girl who's like standing in a whole foods and seeing all food is poison and it's like i feel i just feel sad because it's mm-hmm. like it's this scarcity mindset this like fear that you know you're being in essentially indoctrinated by mm-hmm. fear mm-hmm. and it's like mm, you don't have to do like you don't have to do that like yeah, yeah. Once, if you need help like blink. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like we can help you yeah like, like you don't have to you don't yeah, have you don't to, have to like be this. terrified of everything <laughs> right <laughs> like yeah. and I think too like if we want to talk about industry big like a lot of the times they get comments like oh you're being paid by big oil or like big food or whatever (sighs) if we want to talk about the distrust with large industry Mm -hmm. then I think that we also have to have that conversation of why the distrust is there like let's look at America as a whole let's think about the ways in which these systems have been put in place and who has been consistently at like the short end of that stick. Yeah. And let's talk about the ways in which those fears are very real, Yeah, but let's also look at what communities are greatest affected by that. And I think that my, the, like the rock in my shoe, the, you know, 
really gets my pickle is the fact that like the people who are at the forefront of these conversations are not the people who are most greatly affected. It is the people who are like thin, wealthy, white, who are the, the stereotypical manifestation of what we associate with health, Mm -hmm. who have all the access, who have all the privilege, who have all these things creating and perpetuating this fear without acknowledging why that fear is there. Yeah. And, and if we did, it would kind of be like it, for me, it like, all I can think of is like that picture of like the snake eating its tail. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's that, like, that's literally what these like aesthetic wellness influencers diet culture is and we're just like stuck in that cycle yeah yeah and I think that once once that connection is made and and I think it's like much bigger work and more time-consuming work to really think about it from a bigger picture but I think it makes everything kind of fall into place and it makes that like realization like oh my god um I've just been like a pawn in this and this is what's going on, et cetera, et cetera, whatever, however it may click for you. But I think it, it clicks stronger and perhaps even faster if you do that work to really think about the systemic side of things. Totally. Yeah. And then last thing, and you've mentioned a lot of great books that I will put into the show notes for anyone, but what's one resource that you would recommend for people who want to either like examine their relationship with wellness culture or how it's impacted them um, or just do more work on, on this sort of topic. Mm. Oh my God. Okay. I would off the top of my head. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I would recommend Mm -hmm. starting with I think really, okay. So the pipeline for me for this book, this Mm -hmm. journey Mm -hmm. would be, um, the gospel of wellness Yeah, followed by mindfulness. Go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) You did? Yeah. Very nice. Go ahead. (laughs) Um, not hashtag, not sponsored hashtag. Like this is just me as a human recommending these books. (laughs) I have bought myself, um, the, okay. So the gospel of wellness starting Mm -hmm. there then reading mcmindfulness okay which is um the uh co-opting the westernization of wellness eastern wellness practices and what how that has been like bastardized weaponized by yeah western culture anyways so there's that And then I would read, um, cultish to get more language. Um, cause that will also help with why people get like, so caught up in the wellness space. And then I would read the, some of us and then lastly hood feminism. Okay. I think that would be like a good transition. Like that's a really nice journey. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I love that. I'm, I'm, (laughs) I will start that journey myself. I haven't read any of these books. My, the extent of my like quote unquote work has been mostly podcasts and like audio stuff. I've not done a lot of reading. Um, I like all these books I think are available on audio. Are they on audio? Awesome. I don't know if I read hood feminism the other I read in my ears because I'm a terrible eyeball reader. I always thought I didn't like to read 
Yeah. But it just turns out I like when someone reads to me. Yeah. I I feel like books are a really great place to go. I mean, I'm, I'm being a little bit hypocritical right now because I've, I've done a lot of my own like reflecting based on stuff that I've seen from social media and podcasts. Um, but I do think that the longer form stuff is really helpful when it comes to like actually reflecting and like being challenged to consider why you're thinking the way you're thinking. Um, social media is just so easy to like scroll up to something else, unless you want to go down a deep dive on Clara's Instagram or something. (laughs) Just the rabbit hole of my, yeah, just a rabbit hole and continue scrolling down her grid. (laughs) I know there is a journey made. There was, there was definitely a journey. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Clara, thank you so much for being here today. Um, We're super excited to hear what everyone has to say about this podcast and let's close with where can people find you? Um, you can find me on the internet, social media at your dietitian BFF, um, or my website is very plain, um, clarinosic.com. Um, but that's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, we will chat soon and have a great day. Bye.